Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello there, and again, welcome to the Adoption Chronicles. You're with Mick Shepherd, and today I'm joined by Dom Byrne, who's here to tell us his adoption story, all the way from Melbourne, Victoria. How are you going, Dom? Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm well, thanks, Mick. Uh, thanks, buddy. Um, I've been a fan since uh, since you've started. I've really enjoyed listening, so oh, thanks. looking forward to the chat. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you being on board. So um, whereabouts does your story start? Is it, uh, what I guess, first of all, tell us uh, yeah, a little bit about yourself and your story. Well, it starts as early as I can remember, really, because I'm one of those uh, people that it's it, it has never been a secret in my life. Yep. Uh, my parents were open with me, I suppose, from as young as I could understand, because I can't remember a moment where it, you know, it kind of dawned on me or it broke on me. Yep. Um, so I've always known, and it was kind of obvious um, in some ways. You know, I was born here in in Australia, in Melbourne, and my folks were um, uh, classic uh, Poms who. Moved here for a for a happier life, but really struggled right. to, to settle and, and be happy. You know, they they talked about missing England a lot. Yep. And I was I was pretty keen to um, you know, really reinforce the fact to everybody that I wasn't one of those miserable poms. I was a I was a happy go lucky young Australian fella. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so it was it was part of my identity from a from a young age, mate. Yep. Um, cool. So I guess when they, when you were a kid, yeah, did you have any uh, underlying thoughts about, I guess, fantasies about what your life may have been like if you weren't adopted. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, some of us, uh, a lot of us, I reckon. Uh, I'm fifty. I'm an early. I'm a seventy-one baby. Yep. Um, and there was that classic book. You know, why was I adopted? I think there was there was a brother and sister book. You know, uh, where did I come from? Yep. You know, so one of those books that your parents had put in front of you as a young kid to help. Um, with those conversations that they were probably going to struggle with. And, yeah, uh, I, I used to uh, – probably my number one fantasy was that I'd find out that my father was Bruce Dool, the legendary Carlton okay. uh, halfback flanker. The uh, doormat. 
yeah, to find Dormat. He was my hero. And nice. I'm I'm pretty certain that I did have a strong uh, strong desire to find out that um, somebody like him was my dad. <laughs> yep. Um, but most of my thoughts centered around uh, who my mother was because that that was a story that I was told. You know, I, okay. I wasn't told much of a story, but I, I was always told that uh, my mum was a single mum yep. and that she she made the choice to um, step aside so that I could have, you know those classic lines, I guess, that um, are associated with uh, young young babies being, aband- uh, being uh, fostered, being adopted, you know, so that you could have a, uh, you know, a, a full life. Yeah. Um, so I never heard any story about uh, my father. Yeah. Um, he wasn't part of that. Um, but, yeah, some of those fantasies centred around, you know, Hopefully he's some sort of legend who plays for Carlton. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and you know what it's like when you're a kid. A lot of it's it's maybe not noticed by everybody, but a lot of stories. You know, a lot of you know whether it's I was a fan of things like the old King Arthur. You know, sword in the stone when I was really young. Yeah, and and you know he he's an orphan. You know, yeah. a lot of those classic old fairy stories and stuff. There's some sort of you know Cinderella's an orphan. Yeah. Um, Star Wars. You know, Luke, who's his father? It turns out to be Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> And he falls in love with his sister, which is one of those big things that I grew up with, was the fear of meeting your sister and not knowing she was your sister. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, fair So, yeah, it was part of my life. You know, it's something I've always wrapped my head around. Um, and, you know, has, that has ups and downs. Um, yeah. And as much as I was quite a, a secure, um, you know, had a, had a stable family upbringing, was really fortunate that way I landed with a good, good family. Yep. Um, I was pretty aware that, they weren't my real family, um, as happy as I was. Yep. You know, that notion of um, when I was, I remember being about five years old, I reckon, pretty young, and hearing that notion that blood's thicker than water. Uh huh. And so, really wrapping my head around that and going, that kind of, what, what that says is you reserve your best behavior, your best of everything for your family. You know, your family is most important. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, my family's not my blood. So anybody potentially out there, I don't know, they, they might be my family. So I should treat everybody as if they're my family. Um, and I should treat everybody with my best behaviour. So it helped me feel connected potentially to anybody, um, which was a nice flip side to how, yeah. I guess, on the other hand, I felt really deeply disconnected. You know, I felt pretty isolated. I, I did spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. Um, a lot of time. And I, I still have, you know. Um, yeah, it's a big part of that self-identity, I guess, in, in, in many ways. Yeah, and that's something that's really important to to all of us. And I think it's the way you've handled that thought process is uh, a real credit to you because it could have gone the other way. It could have, yeah. And it's it's felt like it really, without knowing at the time, when I look at it in hindsight, when I chart you know, the course of everything, it feels like it was a real moment where I made a choice um, about this will be my survival strategy. This will be how I handle that sadness that's, that's there in me. You know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll look to flip it on its head and um, yeah, I've ended up being, you know, a social worker. Uh, I work with people that are pretty disconnected quite often from just mainstream living, you know, through their experiences or their situation. Yep. Um, Yeah. And it's ended up being a, you know, almost my, main purpose but also you know underneath it's that yeah it's, it's a survival mechanism it's a coping mechanism 
Yeah. So it's turned, it's turned out well for me, I think. Well, that's good, and it's a real credit to you. Um, I guess moving your life forward into your teenage years, mm-hmm. it would have been around about your late teenage years where where the laws changed and this, the ability for yep. people to search for their past came a lot more free. And it was yep. pretty well yep. publicised back at the time. How did was, you... Yeah. Um, how did you feel about it then? Um, look, I, I was always pretty keen from a young age. I, I was pretty open. Um, me and my mum, um, especially, well, um, we, we we spoke about it a lot. Not so much my father and my siblings, um, yep. but certainly me and mum would would speak about it regularly. And sometimes it was quite heated, even when I was quite young. Yep. Um, mum's pretty headstrong. I'm pretty headstrong, and we we're able to be pretty open with each other and yeah and not necessarily at the end of it be able to you know um reach a point of agreement you know we yeah um we used to almost blew about it sometimes but there was still a real closeness and i really appreciated her willingness to talk to me about it um, yeah i think really she good. sorted i needed to and 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 she needed to herself obviously so yeah that so, was good but um what, yeah what, she always said to me yep uh i don't want you to look she yep. was quite um negative towards who my um, birth mother might be. Yep. Um, she had no rights, you know. She's got no... She let go. It stops there, Dom. Um, and right. I was pretty open about it. I understood what she meant. Um, I, I guess it's the fear of anybody who puts their hand up to take on somebody else's child is that at some point maybe that child's going to want to abandon you. Um, yeah. And I think we don't talk about that quite often. Um, but, yeah, I was always pretty open. And, and she said to me, look, I don't want you to, to, to search for her. Um, but if you do, I want you to tell me. Um, yeah. So it's kind of that rock and a hard place, but it it just meant that being being open and honest about it was always part of the deal, which is really important. Absolutely, hundred percent important. Because from what I've learned over doing these stories, is it ends badly when things are tried to be kept undercover or a secret. It yeah, it generally does. it does, mate. It generally. F- ends up coming to the surface at one point in time. And yeah. I think the yeah. earlier, well, bad news is best delivered early and it's not necessarily bad news. So That's right. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. You know, um, it's, it's, the, um, it's the unfortunate, um, yeah, holding on to secrets, holding on to, it, it, it's, it's a struggle to let go of the past for a lot of people. But yeah. um, part of my management of it has, has been to, you know, think about, you know, all, all those things that are in the past to some degree, but really balance that by being present in the moment as well and really appreciating the moment and and not getting sucked into the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a big black hole every now and again that look that, that does open up. Yeah. Um, and I've had one or two, you know, pretty frightful experiences of landing in that black hole over the years, but okay. I've worked my way out of it. Yep. So I guess just before we get into that part of the story. Mm-hmm. I assume by the, the conversations you were having with your mum that you were ready to start searching. Yeah, I was. I was ready, um, but I was also pretty. Uh, I paced myself. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go headlong. I'd, I'd sort of go headlong every couple of years for a month or so. Okay. And then, I'd, and then I'd ease off a bit. Right. Um, so I first got my hands. I applied to get my birth records. Um, through the you know Victorian state government. Yep. Um, just before we get into that though, yeah, I just yeah, do yeah. have one little question that's in that I, I, that's itching at me. Yeah, um, sure. 
the conversations that you had with your mum and you were mm-hmm. making your mind up to start searching. Yep. With what she was saying, did you think that there might have been a little bit more truth that she may have known as to why she was adamant to not let you yeah. find out? Yeah, was- I did. I did. I certainly did, mate. You know, um, I remember when my mum was so, you know, so certain all the time about not wanting me to search. Yep. Um, sometimes when I would, um, you know, say that it was still something that I wasn't um, stepping away from, um, she'd get quite, you know, um, I remember one particular time when she get she was quite stroppy and was like asking me, you know, what do you want to know? You know, what what's so important? What and it's a hard thing to define. You know, you yeah. Have a, it's it's an urge that you've got, but to put your finger on specifics, particularly I was about fourteen, fifteen. I remember at that time. Yep. Um, I couldn't quite articulate it, and but she kept going, you know, prodding, and and I kind of spat out as a way to you know almost slow her down from from asking me. I just went, oh, I don't know, you know, um, my name, because um, I always expected that there'd be a birth name um, yep. that I wasn't always named Dom, you know. Um, and I'd, I'd heard that story growing up, you know, that I was apparently named after, I think, Mum's drunk uncle or something like that. Okay, right. <laughs> um, but she spat out to me in that conversation. She went, you're a McGee. And it floored me, you know, because oh, um, she came out with it within a second. And I thought, far out, what else do you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that became an interesting thing in itself, you know, over the years that changed for my mum, you know, and I realised it was a good learning experience about how if you tell yourself a certain version of the truth, it's your truth. Um, Yeah. And the longer you hold on to that, it becomes the the, the real truth. Um, And it ended up, you know, years later, mum absolutely floored me again and said that she, if she'd known my name when I was born, she would have never changed my name. Oh, okay. She thought that I was unnamed, but oh. I already had my hands on the paperwork that had her signature on it, which had my birth name and my adopted name. And I uh-huh. thought, hang on, your your memory is plastic, you know, it changes, it's fluid. And yeah, um, that changed over the years. It was really interesting. Yeah, right. Okay, so now let's get into where you started the yep. search. What, how did that unfold? Uh, it was pretty slow. Um like I said, you know, I paced myself. So I was probably about 20, 21, I think, when I um, first got my hands on my records. Yep. Um, and I just sat with them for, for a while, um, just sort of absorbed it. I was, I remember being pretty spun out about how much of it wasn't released, you know, under freedom of information, privacy stuff. Yep. Um, that got me really ticking, you know, what's that about? <laughs> Is there some dark secret? I was pretty naive about, you know, just basic privacy, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was looking and absorbing the information and I could see, you know, it, it named my mother um, and it, it, I like a lot of records at the time, my father wasn't named but yep. it described him in, you know, in a few simple ways. You know, he, he had two uh, of his own kids and he was separated um, right. and he was, ne- he was an anonymous accountant. Oh. Um, yeah. And a few years back and, – and, and my mum was 35 when I was born. Okay. Um, so immediately one of those classic sort of common scenarios that was talked about and experienced for a lot of people was, was young, single, um, adolescent mums, you know, yeah. effectively, you know, young teenage mums. Um, yeah. So that notion um, was challenged. Um, my mum was 35, you know. Um, and a couple of years later, I um, I started to hook into, there's a really good self-help group um, in Victoria based in Melbourne called Vanish. 
it's the Victorian Adoption Network for information and self-help. Okay. Um, and I started to tap into them only a couple of years after they got established. Yeah. Um, largely volunteer run, but really experienced trained volunteers with some paid staff. And and it's a self-help thing, you know. They they didn't do any of my searching for me, but they advised me and supported me. And I had a a supportive. Uh, service to um, uh, tap into which was excellent um, so with their help you know I you know um, figured out how to apply for my mum's marriage certificate to see right. if that gave me more information because I tried I think at that point writing a letter I found her name on the electoral roll did the old school searching for that yep and sent a letter had had no response back sent a really you know um, careful this is who I am this is who I'm looking for let me know if I'm barking up the wrong tree yeah um Nothing too loaded. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe she got married. Maybe her name's, you know, maybe she's under a, a different surname. I'll look up, found her marriage certificate in it. She'd married and she married a divorced accountant. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's one of one of two things here. Yeah. She's, um, she's either married my dad or, or she, she really, accountants. really likes accountants. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so that, that gave me an updated sort of name to look at. Yeah. And I, uh, I sent letters, you know, over the next probably, uh, it wasn't until I was in my early 30s, I was about, uh, yeah, I think I was 30, 31 that I thought, well, I've been sending safe letters, I'll, I'll, send, a, I'll send a real letter, you know, and I yeah. wrote a letter about who I was, what I was doing, you know, and I included a photo of me and my um, first daughter, okay. um, Maggie, who was about two at the time. Yep. And that was the sucker punch. She she called me about a week later. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's where it really kicked off and started. And you know there was there was a few stages of that over the next few years. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She rang me. Um, my wife Ange took that first call, and she told me when I got home about fifteen minutes later. Oh, yeah. Have a guess who called? Oh. Um, she's um, she'll be ringing back in about half an hour. Yeah. Right. So we had that first, and yeah, she laid it out. Yeah, married your father. Um, we've had two kids, so then you know immediately there's that. Yeah. I haven't just got half siblings out there. I've got full-blooded siblings. Yeah, um, right. Plus the half siblings from his first okay, marriage. Of course. Yep. I'm thinking. I wasn't even thinking there might be more at this stage, but that yeah. that that came later. <laughs> yep. Um, and yeah, and she laid it down. She said, "Look, I haven't told him um, that you've contacted me." Um, he's unwell, um, so I don't want to stress him out. Yeah, and I haven't. I've never told your brother and sister that that I had you and that you were adopted, so they don't know anything about you. Um, and I don't want you to call me. I'll call you. Um, so she kind of laid it out on those terms, and right. and I was just happy for anything. You know, I did. I wasn't thinking that was too suspicious. Yep. Um, I, I was happy to, you know, um, hang around and wait for the next phone call. So she rang me about once a month over the next uh, few months. Um, it's, and I was pumped, you know, I was really excited. That's I'd been looking for that connection, you know. And, yeah. And really I'd, I'd kind of convinced myself over the years that it wasn't about me, it was about her. I wanted to, you know, I'd gained insight into how um, how traumatic it must have been for so many so many women to to yeah. lose their children, to give up their yeah. children. And I wanted to make her feel better. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought I was mainly focused on. And it was, you know, obviously underneath it, it's it's much more about me and what 
what sort of uh, feelings I need to deal with and continue yeah. with. Um, and I, and I know, guess I was, that leads me to my next question, which is yeah, all about feelings and how we deal with certain situations. Yep. Did you at any point or, or when did you get to the point where you thought you may have been treated like her dirty little secret? Sorry to oh, be a pretty bit quickly, harsh. Pretty quickly, unfortunately. Right. Um, she was quite reserved. Yep. Um, she was very, very careful. You look, it's it's only going to be on the phone and I'll be calling you. You won't be calling me. And I was like, yep. okay, you know, the, the secret's been kept. Yeah. Um, but I was, like I said, you know, I was happy for And I was pretty confident too that I could, I guess, win her over and charm her into being more relaxed and open and accepting of just, you know, that's the past. Let's... Um, Let's make a you know a, a happy now and future yeah. you know that sort of approach. Um, but she rang me on my birthday that year. Okay. Um, was, after that first phone call, I, I remember it being one of the first things that I was really buoyant, euphoric, you know, really really stoked. And I immediately thought, you know, this year's birthday is going to be different. Yeah. Um, uh, it was one of the first things that I was looking forward to. So she rang. me that year on my birthday and, and wished me happy birthday um, and then she said to me in that same phone call I'm not going to call you again I've, I've made the decision I'm not going to meet you I can't do it I don't want to do it it's too much right um, you sound really happy it's been a pleasure to talk to you but um, that's it I'm um, I'm going to call time on it now and uh, she did that on my birthday which wow. was it was a sucker punch yeah it really floored me um, yeah that's brutal. I think I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's brutal. I think I mentioned earlier, you know, of it is dark, deep hole to fall into occasionally in life. And yeah. um, I definitely fell into it a bit then. I was fortunate, you know, I was I uh I was a new dad, you know. I'd um I had met uh the first person I was uh related to by blood and that was my daughter Maggie and she filled a big hole, you know. Yeah. It wasn't so life and death at that point you yeah. know i had a lifeline which was really fortunate but yeah it was still really really difficult to deal with and i sat with it for about a year and then i called her back um and said look you know um it was kind of in hindsight a nice way to threaten her that <laughs> a little bit of um polite blackmail i said look I, I can feel that i'm about to reach out to my dad jim and to maybe the brother or sister yep just thought it was good to let you know um, so that you might have the opportunity to tell them first rather than me just, you know, stick my head up out of the blue. Yeah. And about two or three days later, I met her and Jim. Wow. Um, for the first time, face to face. Yeah. He was on the phone to me the next day. Um, right. He was stoked. He couldn't believe it um, because he didn't know about me at the time I was born. You know, um, he oh, found out about a year later. Um, and that apparently was a life-changing moment for him. He was a pretty bad... Um, pretty bad alcoholic prior okay. to that um and he was sober from that point on um, right and i was probably yeah in, in many ways him not knowing about my birth had become for him you know his low point and uh he was absolutely thrilled that he had the opportunity to um to meet me and to make up for that to you know he was matching me he was matching the the things that I wanted it were the same things he wanted, which was really amazing. Yeah. I never, never anticipated that. And it took the edge off how reserved and not open to it all my mum was. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, and he told me early on, um, he said, look, you know, I'm really keen to make sure you and me 
make a connection. I don't think it'll happen with you and Liz, with your with your mother. Yeah. Um, and I'd already seen that myself. Yeah. Um, but he said, look, I'm really keen because, I mean, you're my son. But he, he then he told me, he said, uh, about 10 years earlier, her first son um, had tracked her down in the same way that I had. Oh. Um, so, yeah, he revealed to me that I was her second child that she adopted out. Wow. So the yeah, plot and that, that was tough. That was tough. I'd never harboured any resentment towards the fact that I had been adopted out by her. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I wanted to say, you look, if you've held any guilt about that, I'm here to tell you, let it go. Um, I hope you're all right. You know, I'm okay. It's been tough, but I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, just really wanted to, I imagined, you know, I expected that he had a similar or at least a, her type of a pain that I had and I wanted to make it better for us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that changed it. It made me kind of go, oh, wait, you did it twice. I was... You put me through that as oh uh, yeah, and it it I, I struggled because I'm I'm not a I don't hold grudges yeah uh, I don't go to war deliberately with people yeah yeah and I had this real strong sort of reaction to that and um, it was interesting you know um, when my dad told me that he said he was a passenger he sat back and watched it wasn't for him to interfere um, he wasn't the father of that um, first son yeah um, yeah and. But he saw the way that she shook him loose and, and never followed through in the same way that she'd shaken me loose, you know, with wow. that phone call on my birthday. Yeah. Um, but he he didn't have that half-brother's uh, name. So I, I knew about, I had this mystery half-brother out there, but I didn't know anything about him for quite a long time until quite recently, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but it all went south um, after a couple of years with me and the biological parents. Um couple of reasons you know it just became a bit difficult for Jim I think to maintain a relationship with me I think it maybe put made him feel that it put his relationship with his wife at risk yeah um, yep. caused tension between them and he slowly sort of stepped away from me but then unfortunately you know I'm you know I'm a social worker and at that time I was working in a like an adolescent a high-risk adolescent kind of like a mobile crisis team at night on the street okay and my brother's um son was like becoming my way at work you know and my dad was calling me for advice telling me about the trouble his son was going through right. and he, his son my yep. nephew yeah and i was you know helping from a distance and it got to a point where child protection were involved and um my status as a child protection worker was the final shore or the um the escape clause that jim had been looking for and he wrote me off and and that was it wow. um, and the brother had never shown any interest at all yep. um i met him face to face a couple of times and he pretty much just grunted in my direction it was quite bizarre yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah so it, it it didn't have a fairy tale kind of there wasn't the establishment of a warmth a warm connection there was with jim for a, a short you know probably five six years yeah um but yeah it, it sort of went south and got all a bit sour um and essentially you know it was when Liz rang me on my birthday, that was that was almost. It wasn't almost. It was. It was a, a real sense of being rejected. Yep. A second time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, for that to come later with with Jim, it was another kick in the guts. It felt really um, like my desire to turn things around and 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 heal some of that pain. It actually caused more. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really tough period. Um, I I completely understand. Do, do you think that those events changed the, your personality or how you deal with people? Um, 
in the sense that they were further events in the past that I was already on, I think, Mick. You know, I guess a combination of my work and being adopted, you know, all of my life experiences, you know. Um, yeah. I've met a lot of really interesting people. Um, I've had a lot of fun. Um, and I've really worked on, I guess, through my role as a social worker and um, in working with people that are essentially broken. Um, yeah. Uh, been able to connect and engage with people that you're used to having respectful interactions with other people in the community. You know, it's, I suppose that really gave me a, a lot of skills to manage um, my own um, personal struggles, yeah. which is great. You know, it's, it's become a real advantage for me. But on the other hand, too, sometimes I think it's been a bit of a curse because, you know, I've, I've studied and learnt and experienced you know, um, things around attachment theory and um, yeah. working in a trauma-based field, you know, and, and understanding how to how to identify and work and, 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 and be a supportive person that helps facilitate people recovering from trauma and dealing with trauma in their lives. Yeah. Um, I've probably, as much as I've gained some really good skills, I've, I've dialed up the propensity i've got to be an overthinker <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so i have at times dwelled on it really deeply yeah but i'm well, glad i've done that because shutting down on those things isn't a useful no. approach for me yeah i think it's an interesting situation for all of us because the trauma or or, or any event that happens that affects us emotionally the basis of who we are comes from our birth story and how we came about. Yep. So those are of the deepest seated emotions that make up our person. Absolutely, yeah. And anything that happens to us, whether it's positive or negative, affects those base emotions. Yep, 100%. And uh, you got a really good handle on that, I reckon. Um, yeah, uh, you know, if you, if you know trauma and how trauma works... Um, uh, part of recovering from trauma for people is to is to be able to identify the things before the trauma that were positive, maybe if for yeah. some people, not for not for all trauma. Um, a lot of trauma is really complex, you know. It's um, and that's what the trauma related to. Um, it's not the, so much the experience of being adopted. No, it's, it's that previous experience of being abandoned, yeah, um, and being relinquished. And if that happens at birth, your base is trauma. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I reckon I'd be tipping. You probably listen to Paul Sunderland. Um, he's an English psychologist who talks about um, adoption and addiction. Okay. Um, and I remember when I first uh, came across his stuff, it was like um, it was like having, um, you know, your first pair of glasses if you you've been struggling with your eyesight starting to fail. <laughs> yeah, right. Like every, all of a sudden, things were clear and really. Wow. Yeah, he's he's a great person to delve into in terms of how he articulates. Yeah, the the lifelong impact of um, that trauma of being separated from your your biological mother. Um, it's a deep seated. It imprints on your brain. Um, yeah, and I'm fascinated by neurology and the brain and how the brain works. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a fascinating thing and it's, it's a deeply connected thing. You know, one, one thing that happened before I met Liz, uh, you know, how I said I was, I was pretty slow. I was pacing myself. I was taking, yep. um, cautious steps. I did take a, I did sort of throw caution to the wind one time and it was pretty catastrophic. <laughs> I 
I um I'd met this woman who had offered to do my full horoscope chart in the mid nineties. Oh, okay. Um, and I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. She's like, yep, yeah, all right, let's get going. What um what day were you born? I told her my birthday, and she's going, all right, what time were you born? I went, oh, I don't know. Um, and she said, what do you mean you don't know? Why don't you ask your mum? I said, well, and I told her, I explained, and she went, oh, I, I won't be able to do a really, really full chart then. And I was a bit bummed out by that, so yeah. it popped into my head a few days later. I um I thought I. Oh, I'll ring the hospital because uh, I knew by that point where, where I was born. Yeah. I was born at the Mercy Hospital in Melbourne, which was really cool. Uh, Maggie, my, my daughter, you know, I said, you know, she really was that first person. Yeah. Um, she was born at the same hospital. It felt like a really nice way to, yeah. um, like a circle being completed, you know, it's a yep. bit corny, but that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. Um, so I rang the hospital and the woman on the other end of the phone said, yeah, cool. Um, I'll put you on hold for five, 10 minutes. I'll go check records, see if I can find something out. Um, and she got back on the phone. And it must have been under my nose on the records I had all the time. She must have looked at the same ones unless they had a different version. Um, but she said, you were born at quarter to six in the morning, Dom. And I went, thanks. And I felt really good. It, it was a really simple piece of the puzzle. It wasn't yep. an important piece of the puzzle, but it felt like a really good positive step forward, you know, and... I didn't realise it at the time, but I was euphoric for like two or three days as if I was born again. Yeah. And I went into party. I was in my mid-20s. I was living life pretty large and I went into party mode big time. And I came crashing down hard because I uh, I pushed it. Um, I gave things a big nudge that weekend, Mick, and um, broke a few golden rules. And I – what – and I pretty much had a public meltdown for about two or three days. I, I pretty much had a, a psychotic episode, I reckon, yeah, knowing right. what I know now about how things work. Yep. And what I reckon I did was somehow, with the combination of partying that I did and the deep thinking I was doing, I um I opened up that hidden memory. I think a lot of people subscribe to the notion that you, you don't remember and recall everything all the time, but the things you don't recall and remember, they're, they're, they're there. They're hidden away. It's like they're in that hard drive that's buried at the back of your computer and you don't tap into them all the time, but they can be tapped into. Yeah. And I think I tapped into the pain of the moment that I was born and separated from my mother. It was, it nearly killed me. Um, I couldn't bear to, I, told, I ran around telling everyone I was leaving um, and I was trying to say goodbye to as many people as I could. Yeah, right. So I was putting a fear of guiding to people thinking that I was going to top myself. Yeah. That wasn't my mission. I just had to get away from Melbourne because I had this solid thing in my head that, you know, if I stay, it's going to, you know, my pain's just going to be apparent to everybody. I can't yeah. hide from it. Um, yeah. And I couldn't describe it because that, that memory from your birth, it doesn't have language. You don't, you don't no. use words. When you're a newborn, you're, it's just raw feeling. And I tapped into that. And yeah, it nearly, nearly took a hold. Um, wow. Yeah, it was powerful. <laughs> and when Maggie was born, my daughter was born a few years later, that gave me a new impetus to continue the search. Cause, not because I still had the same level of pain. You know, Maggie's birth really took the edge off that for yeah. me. Um, but I also had an experience of how much that pain could break me down. Um, and I wanted to protect myself from finding myself in that black hole again if I didn't finish the search. So that's what gave me a new... I, I didn't want to end up back there again in yeah, that, that dark, dark place. Um, yeah. Because it sounds like a pretty dark place to be. And 
the fact that you got yourself out of it is uh well it's my wife and she um a lot of people freaked out that weekend and yep. me and her weren't together at that time we weren't a couple we had been sort of a couple before that <laughs> yeah that's a different story but um yeah she followed me around she tied my ass and grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and pretty much saved my life man nice um and yeah that was that was the start of me really probably being a bit kinder to myself yeah um yeah, and being being cared for, it was really cool. Um, I was very very lucky, and I was very aware of how lucky I was too. And luckily too, as confronting as I as it was, I remembered everything that I went through. I remembered okay. how bizarre my behaviour was. Yeah, and I understood it. I felt like it made sense to me that that's what had occurred, and I was really careful to protect myself from going back there again in the future. Yeah, and it's absolutely. tough as with you know meeting people and it not working out. You know, yep. there's there's also been some really good nuggets. Um, I was able to track down Bob, um, my half-brother, who was okay. adopted 13 years before me. Right. Um, yeah. And How did that go? Me and him have been each other's consolation prize, you know. He didn't know about me at all. Right. I'd heard about this notion of a, of a brother out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, he'd never heard that. Um, he knew that Liz had married Jim and they had two kids, but he didn't know they'd had an earlier one that had also been adopted. Right. Um, so that was wicked, and and that's again taking the edge off, and help balance out some of those really difficult um, experiences of the secondary um, rejection um, that that occurred. Yep. Yeah, we've we've really connected nicely. Oh, that's good. I think yeah, secondary rejection is potentially worse than. First. I agree, mate. Yeah, I agree. So I I, I empathise with you, mate. I'll give you an internet hug. Um, <laughs> And thanks, Mick. Yeah, no thank worries. Yeah. Um, I normally round things off by asking you to give some advice in regards to part of the story that you've told, and yep. most of the time that revolves around if you're going to search, what advice have you got? But I think for you, I would ask for people who are battling mm-hmm. with their emotions regarding mm-hmm. adoption or or some of the trauma or or anything that they're having trouble with dealing with emotionally. What advice have you got yep. for, for those people? Um, oh, look, you know, um, first and foremost, I think people need to um, allow themselves to, to feel what they're feeling um, and yep. not feel that they need to put it off for other people's benefit. Sometimes people, I think, get responses that reinforce that, you know, those feelings that you have have been not worthy or, you know, secondhand. Yeah. Um, so to really be um, yourself to feel what you feel, but to, if you can, um, if you haven't got that strong support around you in terms of family or friends, people that you can rely on to just support you and then hear you out, they don't have to have the answers. They just have to be able to hear you out um, and be present. If you don't have that in your life, you know, if you can, um, try and try and connect with it, try and find it, try and reach out, you know. Yep. Um, mental health plans, you know, that type of stuff, psychologists. I think there's, we're, we're fortunate, you know, there's a stronger general support in a broad community about, you know, if, if you've got whatever type of mental health challenge you've got, you know, there's real benefit in, in trying to reach out to a support service or, a, you know, a helpline. It's like everything, you know, um, you're not going to necessarily find the perfect counsellor or the perfect helpline. You know, if you, if you have a, a problem with your car and you 
you find a mechanic that rips you off, you're going to look for another mechanic. You're not going to go yeah. back. So sometimes you've got to search for that that extra support. And you know, if like that notion I was talking about with my mum about you know um, how she changed her sense of the truth around my birth name, for instance, you know, um, yeah. if you encounter people that you know say, nah, your version of things isn't real, that's not. You know, you're you're making that part of it up, or you're going too far, or you're being self-indulgent. To to a large degree, that that's a load of crap. You know, um, if that's what you're genuinely experiencing, then you have to have to kind of respect that. Um, yeah, and and try and find a way of resisting the people that will um, criticize or challenge or negate that for you. Um, it's a tough one. Um, being kind to yourself, you know, as corny as it is, it's it's the real it's the real um, essence. Um, yeah. Being able to one thing I've really learned over the years dealing with my own stuff, helping people through my work, is that it's no good forgetting the past and burying it. Yeah. Um, it's important to you know learn from it if you can, or, or you know just accept it. But really learning how to be present in the moment and and in, and being being really present in the moment is is such a such a key. It really helps to endure hardship if you've got an ability to um only con- um, focus on what you can control you know like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff around you that you can't control um it's a, those... it's a, a little bit like riding a wave yeah in that yeah you didn't um, control the wave you didn't make the seas rocky but mm. by riding the wave and going with it you can get to shore eventually yep yep i've had some really nice moments where i've of at the time, you know, of unexpected moments, you know, just feeling, hang on, this is one of those key points in time where I can, I can sit on top of that wave or I can feel I'm on the beach, you know, and the waves pushed away for a moment, you know, yeah. um, my mum, um, my, my parents who raised me, you know, Tony and Val, uh, both my biological parents, Jim and Liz passed away during the last 12 months, 18 months. Yep. Um, and both of my adoptive parents have had significant health crisis um, right. in and out of hospital and have been in aged care um, for the last six months. And mum's mind's fallen apart in the last two years. She's a really right. tough, intelligent, strong woman yep. and her mind's gone to putty and she's in the grip of full-blown dementia. Um, so that's been, been um, pretty amazing, pretty tough. But I went to visit mum about just over 12 months ago when she was in hospital in the grip of after breaking her arm the dementia was bubbling away and um she was pretty out there for a a good couple of months in hospital very very difficult for people to deal with and i rocked up one morning to visit her and i could tell before i um was sitting with her as i approached her and saw her you know in her bed that she looked like she was the calmest that she'd been since she'd been in hospital right i thought this is nice you know I'll, i'll take I'll take this with both hands and I sat down next to her and she sat up and she sat next to me and she patted me on the leg and she gave me a really nice, just chilled out smile. And she said, Oh, how are you, Jared? It's really nice to see you. And she called me by my birth name. Right. And years before I remember her being, you know, in tears going off. I knew you were called Jared. I would never have called you Dominic. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I thought that's interesting because, when I was 15, you said, you're a McGee, you know, in, yeah. in answer to my attempt to answer her questions. And it was really significant, you know. Um, six months down the track after that, you know, mum's 
received a, a proper diagnosis around her dementia. She's got a type of dementia called Louis Body. Okay. Dementia. There's hundreds of types of dementia I never knew. Um, right. And one of the particular hallmarks of Louis Body dementia is quite commonly people will hallucinate. They have strong visual hallucinations. So it made sense to, you know, a lot of mum's behaviour had appeared to me to be what I was familiar with, with people's psychosis in mental health that I'd seen in my crisis right. work. Okay. Um, but one of the common things that people with Lewy body dementia hallucinate or visualise is young children and babies, right? which is just so specific. And then to hear that and remember that time I sat down and she patted me on the leg and went, it's really nice to see you, Jared. It's just mind-blowing, you know. Um, and I think my ability to live, to be in the moment, um, absorb all those tough blows but process stuff and, and keep it balanced, appreciate a lot of amazing things in my life. Um, it's really helped me go that far out, you know. Yeah. Look at that. All those notions that I have about, you know, memory and attachment and trauma and loss. There's a perfect example of how, yeah, I've, I've been thinking pretty accurately about my situation. And it, it was mind-blowing. And, and, and it took, uh, yeah, it was a surprise moment. And it healed a lot of that. Um, there was a lot of love and affection with me and my mum. But there was a lot of um, difficulty, a, a lot of pain. I think my mum struggled to articulate and deal with yep. that side of it. They came out in a headstrong, stroppy, sort of challenging, head to you sort of way. But, you know, underneath it was, she was, it was as significant uh, a, a spiritual thing for her as it was for me, you know. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice way to round it out. Um, and thank you very much for your time today, Tom. It's been. Thanks, Mick. Uh, a really thank you. interesting and. Uh, a really eye-opening um, journey, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I wish you all the very best. Uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, likewise. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I'm not for... looking forward to hearing my own voice when I listen to the podcast, but ah, you <laughs> but I really fine. enjoyed it, and I've been a fan of your work, like I said, Mick. And um, oh, thank you. Uh, I hope it continues because, like you've seen, you know, with each of the stories you've heard when you've interviewed people so far there's there's little little twists and nuances no no stories the same yeah no it's um, exactly right yeah. everybody's got a unique story but um one thing that i've learned um and i'm putting together a bit of a, a learning episode for the future um is that the, the big unexpected learning for me is how much benefit these stories have had for the people that listen I originally started putting these together because I was reading other people's stories to learn more about how to handle my own story. And yep. being yep. time poor, I needed to be able to listen to stories like when I'm driving places. So podcasts yeah, yeah. Yep. like a good idea. But then looking up podcasts, it was more about advice for people searching and mm-hmm. technical mm-hmm go bouts but I'm like well I just yep. want to hear people's stories and yeah 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 so I decided to do it and um it's been really beneficial I think for 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 me um I've yeah, taken a lot great. out especially yeah. your story today um it resonates quite strongly 
Um, yeah, I can tell. Yeah. And I really appreciate everybody that listens to the show, um, all the support that everybody's been given, and, and, and it's, yeah, been really cool. I really appreciate everybody and their, you know, listening, and, and thank you for everybody, all the guests too. Yeah, um, yeah. I yep. think you guys are awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Mick. No worries. Likewise. Back at you, mate. All righty. Thanks, Dom. And that was Dom Byrne uh, today on the Adoption Chronicles. As always, if you've got a story that you'd like to tell, it it really is your story and your platform for you to tell what has happened in your life in regards to adoption. And I'm here to facilitate that. Uh, this is the safe place for your stories. And until next week, bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.